Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, want to shout out the Ringer Wise Guys, the foursome, the four horsemen that wake up early on Sunday and do a preview show for all things NFL. It's a great time. Go check it out. You got Joe House, you got Cousin Sal, you got Raheem Palmer, and you got JJ Bombs, John Jastrzemski, who's the best. So go watch those guys. Go tune in. It's a lot of fun and it gets you primed for NFL football. So uh, again, the show is Ringer Wise Guys. You can find it on FanDuel TV on Sundays or you can find it on the Ringer TV feed on Spotify. Go do it now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are talking basketball shoes. That is right. We're going to have Russ Bingston come on, former editor of Slam Magazine. He's going to talk about his new book, A History of Basketball in 15 Sneakers. We're going to talk about some of the most famous shoes in basketball and some of the corresponding athletes and storylines behind it. Russ is a, uh, a great resource when it comes to kind of the fashion and function of basketball shoes in general and the stories behind them and the players affiliated. So we have a fun conversation excited for that. We're going to jump off uh, after that, and we're going to do some shout-outs. Kyle has some headlines from the college basketball world. We got some new news about the transfer portal. We're also going to talk about Indiana and Kentucky. The rivalry is back on, but not for now. You got to wait a little bit longer, but it's going to come soon. Um, and also, we're going to talk about a couple conspiracies, because for whatever reason in today's time, we have lots and lots of conspiracies going on, so we'll get to that at the end. Kyle, anything else before we get into today's episode? Well, I'm looking at headlines and Zillow because it took me 80 minutes to go eight miles. But My first, God. Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical They're foul. Timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. All right, welcome into One Shining Podcast. I am your host, Tate Frazier, and joining us today, I'm very excited about this. He is the former editor-in-chief of Slam. You've seen him online on Twitter, giving you updates on all things culture, shoe sneaker culture, whatever it is, basketball culture. He's one of the best. He is Russ Bingston, and he's got a new book that we're going to talk about on this show. It is called A History of Basketball in 15 Sneakers. Russ, thanks so much for coming on OSP, man. 
Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this book because uh, this is kind of in my wheelhouse. I love sports. I love basketball in particular, and I love sneaker culture. Obviously, growing up in North Carolina, a Jordan kid, uh, that that was the time to come up. I'm a Jordan 11 kid. We'll talk about the Jordan 11 because I I found that chapter fascinating. But I'm going to start with uh, the question that you have in this book. It's a simple one. Which came first, the sport or the sneaker? And let's talk about that because Chuck Taylor, right? That That's our guy. He's the one that did this. Yeah, I mean, he, well, he was the one who picked up on it a little bit later. I mean, you know, Marquise Converse and having Converse was the one who really got things rolling. Um, there were other brands in the, at the time, um, you know, who did stuff early on, but it never caught on. Chuck was the one who really took Converse and, and blew it up into this huge thing. Uh you know, from from the twenties all the way through the sixties when he passed away. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a fascinating story. Like every time I talk to any basketball expert, right, they say the two clinicians that you should talk about are Chuck Taylor, obviously, and he just kind of went around and you know went. To, I think one of the first stories where he went to NC State and was teaching them basketball, and that kind of led to this whole now as we know as Tobacco Road, right? And he sold, uh, you know, Chuck Taylor sneakers, Converse sneakers back then, um, and right, then Hubie right. Brown is one of those guys, right? In in the modern era, now still calling basketball games a clinician, but also you know Nike sent him over to Europe to go teach and and, and you know spread the game of basketball. But it all comes back to the brands, and there's this weird connection between the brands themselves and the basketball. And, you know, when you think of Converse, I think you think of guys, you know, early on in their careers, right, that that were the real stars. Like, who was kind of the first star that we kind of knew him by by his sneaker, in your opinion? You know, it's like, it's funny because it, it seemed like Converse just had that rep as being the best shoe. So basically, if you were getting paid to wear a shoe at that point, you were getting paid to not wear Converse. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so that would have been like Bob Cousy getting paid to wear PF Flyers and like having his name on that. So, you know, I think he was probably one of the earlier ones as far as when the NBA really got established. Um, you know, at that point, Chuck's name was on the Chuck Taylor. You know, Chuck Taylor became synonymous with the basketball shoe, kind of in the same way that later on Stan Smith became right. the name of that tennis shoe. You know, I think he wrote, he had his book about like, you know, I'm a person, not a shoe or something along those lines. And I think, you know, you know, that happens fortunately or unfortunately, it's like wishing on a monkey's paw. Like I want to be immortal. It's like, well, okay, you will be, but people are going to think of a shoe before they think of you. Um, you know, I think Chuck Taylor at this point is kind of like, uh, it's just a name, you know, like kids who want to wear Chucks, you know, (laughs) like you just say it, you don't really think about the person behind it and him just crisscrossing the country for decades, you know, doing these, um, what do you call it? Demonstrations and kind of building it up. And just the idea that for him, you know, teaching basketball was a big part of it and then growing converse at the same time, because like, they're the ones paying him to do this. So, you know, it benefited him in, in multiple ways. The more people, I think I talked about it in the book like that. It's like, the more people who learned about basketball and grew to love basketball, they would eventually buy Chuck Taylor's because that was the shoe back then. Yeah. And I think the big question, too, that always happens with basketball shoes in particular, it's fashion versus function, right? And, and the beautiful, the best sneakers are when the function and the fashion 
are kind of, you know, perfectly melded together, right? And the the Converse Chuck Taylor kind of has that ethos, right? It, it is the perfect minimalist shoe. And, you know, we, we kind of, you know, all fascinated over it. And the, the person that really took the fashion part of it to the next level, and you talk about this in the book, is Walt Frazier. And he does that with the Pumas. Can you just talk about kind of his impact? Because, you know, fashion is such a part of the NBA now. Um, we have the full walk-in in the tunnel, right? It's a whole, like, promoted part of the game. But the first person to bring fashion to the forefront was really Walt, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look back to the NBA in the 60s, um, the two guys, I would say, I, I would say it's Clyde Frazier and Will Chamberlain mm-hmm. were the two guys on opposite coasts. You know, you had Wilt with the Lakers at that point. You have Clyde in New York with the Knicks. Um, you know, a guy from Illinois played for Southern Illinois, the Salukis, which I think that's a dog, right? I, I yeah, always I forget think so, what the right? Salukis yeah, yeah, yeah. were, <laughs> yeah. like a greyhound type dog. Right. Um, you know, he grew up in Atlanta. I said Illinois, he went to college there, not grew up there, but was kind of, you know, into that whole style thing from the start. You know, he talks about in, in his book, Rock and Steady, about growing up and like wanting to keep his shoes clean with a sneakers clean with a toothbrush, that sort of thing. You know, so when Puma came to him and Puma had already signed, like they had Reggie Jackson, mm-hmm. who was with Oakland at the time. They had Joe Namath. You know, they had like, they had already sort of established themselves as like signing these sort of, brash, fashion-forward, super individualistic guys in team sports. And Clyde really fit in with that. You know, like, I love the whole Clyde story about how he wore the wide-brimmed hat. He gets clowned for it by teammates, the equipment manager, you know, and then Bonnie and Clyde happens, and it's like, he's kind of at the forefront of this. Um, You know, he's a guy who had a Rolls-Royce. He had the fur coat. He had the the, uh, what do you call it? Penthouse apartments with the mirrors on the ceiling and on the wall with his name on it. Like, um, you know, Clyde was, Clyde was ahead of his time, at at least in terms of basketball players being like fashion icons. Yeah. He was kind of like the Frank Lucas, right? The caricature that, you know, Denzel played an American gangster, but he was a basketball player. Like everybody was like, oh man, Clyde's just the smoothest guy. Uh, can do whatever he wants around the city, a little bit flashy, you know, a lot of flair behind it. I mean, obviously still does it calling games. He kind of has that same, you know, backdrop. Yeah, I'm going to guess Clyde hasn't paid for a drink in New York City since 1970. (laughs) Like, there is no way. I don't know if he's paid for a meal in that long. Right, he Um, probably hasn't even paid for a sandwich at this point, right? (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and I talk about it in the book where it's like, you know, Puma wants to sign him and he knew about the basket, which was kind of their leather basketball shoe and was like, no, nah, I don't want to wear this. Like, this is way too clunky. And they're like, no, we want you to help us come up with something better. And, you know, the Clyde isn't, it's not super different from the basket. You know, you can almost look at the Clyde and I, I think if you just glance at the two, you can kind of think like, well, it's just a suede basket. But it's just subtly enough different. Like the suede definitely made it softer and ready to play out of the box. It's a little bit more flexible. They made the the laces, like the eye stays are wider apart. So you get like a, you know, more lace mm-hmm. showing basically, you know, those little things. And it was literally a signature shoe. Like it had his signature in gold on the side. They did 8 zillion colors in the 60s or in the 70s um, to where it just became this off-court thing. You know, all the Knicks were asking him for pairs like, 
not to wear in games, because I don't think anyone else wore it in a game besides him, but to wear it off the court. Mm, yeah. And we know we talk about the battle of the brands on the show about, you know, there's a lot of conversations now. It's like who can try to unseat Nike? Nike is, you know, really the person that can unseat Nike is its own company, Jordan, right? I mean, that's really the, <laughs> right. the only right. person that really right. can do it. But I want to start with Jordan because, it, you know, you go from Converse when you got Bird, you got Magic, even Kareem, you know, he was with Adidas, right? And then all of a sudden, Nike makes a bet on the no number three pick going to Chicago. They say, we're going to give this guy his signature line. We're going to give him the Air Jordans. He's going to get fined if he wears them in games because they're red and black. And then they sell $126 million or whatever it was uh, yeah. Jordan won. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Nike is the real player in the game. What What is that? Is that really the watershed moment in, in all of the branding of basketball shoes? Michael Jordan, he's kind of like the, the blueprint everyone's trying to copy now. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. And it's like, you know, everyone tries to copy it, but, you know, the whole thing is like, but Air Jordan still exists. You know, right. it's kind of hard. There, there's not really a vacuum to fill because he's still, he's still filling it. That brand is still filling it. Um, you know, it's funny. And like, one thing that I had to really sort of reckon with while writing this book is like, I've written a lot of stuff about sneakers in the past and about sneakers in the past, like about Air Jordan, about whatever else. And I think, you know, we have this tendency when we write history to look back at it. And I think when you look back, everything seems so obvious. You know, it's <laughs> right. like you look back and it's like, well, why didn't anyone else do this? Mm -hmm. But it's like you kind of need to get yourself in that mindset. And I'm sure like, you know, Bruce Catton, who wrote about the Civil War or like David Halberstam or any of these people would know more than I. But like you got to get yourself in that mindset of like trying to live in that moment looking ahead to things that would happen. And it's like the reason other brands didn't do that first is because no one knew it would work. They didn't know it would work. You know, I think like David Falk talked about it some, and I quoted him in there, like, you know, nobody involved had any inkling it would be that big. Mm. Obviously, they don't do it thinking it's not going to work to some degree. But the idea that like Nike had that out in the contract, and I just love that, where it's like, if they didn't sell like $5 million worth of Air Jordan stuff in the first three years of the five-year deal, they could dump them. And yeah, they end up selling $126 million in the first year. Um, Air Jordan, to me, really showed that like basketball stuff was going to be super viable outside of that immediate basketball market of basketball shoes being worn for basketball. And then even more so because, you know, Clyde did that to a degree. But a lot of that was regional. A lot of that was New York. A lot of that was the tri-state area. Like those people wanted to rep Clyde. And what Air Jordan did beyond that was like, not only is this going to appeal to people who aren't going to play basketball, this is going to appeal to people way outside of the Chicago market. You know, this is going to sell everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, not to date myself, but I was 14 when those shoes came out. And I remember wanting those really bad, you know, and I was in suburban Long Island. I know like there was WGN and Jordan obviously made an impact while in North Carolina. You know, the NCAA tournament was a huge thing back then. Um, winning the title in 82 was a big deal. The Olympics were a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's funny too, where it's like, they draft him third. You know, he f literally falls into their laps. 
And Rod Thorne is like being apologetic to Bulls fans. Yeah, he's like, we need a big, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I apologize. (laughs) But it's like in between the draft and his NBA debut, he plays in the Olympics in LA and is clearly like the best basketball player on earth. Mm -hmm. So it's like there by then already, there wasn't really much to apologize for. Um, You know, but that was a funny thing too. It's like the Bulls were terrible. They'd been terrible. They had a bunch of lottery picks before and just like no one had really worked out. You know, the Orlando Woolridge, Quentin Daly, like all these different guys. Um, I'm spacing on his name, but the guy they picked because they had a, there was a coin flip where they could have got Magic Johnson and they got not Magic Johnson. Larry Bird had been drafted the year before by the Celtics because Red Auerbach doing Red Auerbach things. And, uh, you know, they were just kind of floundering. And here comes this guy and like nothing in sneakers or basketball was the same after that. Yeah, it, w- it completely changed everything. And I think the the storytelling of it all, I mean, Michael got cut from his varsity team, right? He played JV in ninth grade, but like the the driving part of the, the Jordan story, right? And obviously Nike had a big part of this, but I think the most fascinating to me is the Jordan 11 and you talk about it in the book. Um, and I talked about, you know, the Chuck Taylors kind of had that ability to be minimalist, but also have everything. And the Jordan 11, it comes all on the heels of him coming back from baseball um, you know, he's playing in the 95 playoffs. We have the Nick Anderson moment where he says, you know, 45 ain't 23, right? <laughs> right and then, right. you know, Jordan comes back the next game and and gets fined again. He's wearing new sneakers. He's also wearing number 23. And that summer he shoots Space Jam. Um, you know, he's wearing the Jordan 11s. When you're, when I was a kid, you know, I'm seeing Jordan 11s. Those are still my favorite shoes. I have Jordan 11s on right now while I'm talking to you <laughs> because uh, that's just what it is. And the funny part about it is that those come out, they become like these cultural icons, but they but they are kind of minimalist at its core. And those sneakers had a great story behind it. How much of the narrative of Michael Jordan helps with the brand of Air Jordan? You know, I, I always find that fascinating because the, the career arc and going from a three-time champ to baseball through a three-time champ, I mean, I just feel like it, maybe even the shoe isn't that great, but the story makes the shoe that that much greater to me in my mind. Yeah, I mean, you can't really duplicate it. And it's like, To me, like there were, you had like, and I think that's why those shoes continue to resonate is like you, it was like a threefold thing. You know, you had, you had Jordan and what he was doing on the court, which was incredible and not being matched by anyone. You had Tinker Hatfield's designs, which like, even when they were um, sort of logical and what came after what like I think if you look back at the nine, the ten, and the eleven, you can kind of see an evolution there. Mm-hmm. There were elements that followed along, and then the the third part of it was the commercials. You know, you had Whiten and Kennedy coming up with this stuff. You had obviously the Spike Lee, Michael Jordan stuff that went straight through baseball. I mean, I still love that baseball commercial with the Wellies trying with like <laughs> right. I, I forget who all was in it, but like you had Hall of Famers. You had like Willie Mays. You had Ken Griffey, who I think was the you know, the best, the prime baseball guy then. And you had Bill Buckner um, to get that little widening Kennedy um, jo- inside joke. If you got it, you got it aspect back then. Um, and Mars Blackman's still as Brooklyn guy. So, you know, you had those three elements all working together. And the 11 was kind of the culmination of all that because it was, it was a very simple shoe when you look at it, you know, with those, 
lace loops on the outside, the ballistic mesh on top of patent leather. You flip it over, you have the clear outsole with that super distinctive carbon fiber spring plate underneath it. Um, you know, even the logo itself was almost superfluous. Like you knew what that shoe was when you saw it from a zillion miles away. And certainly you knew what it was, or you knew you should know what it was when you see Jordan wearing it. Because at that point, Jordan debuting a new shoe was a huge moment. You know, and I think Nike realized back then, because Jordan did, you know, start wearing it in the middle of the 95 playoffs. It's like when he got something new, you couldn't be like, well, Mike, you got to wear test this for a while and we'll debut it next season. Like that wasn't going to happen, especially like, you know, you go to the 23, like I believe you got fined for switching to 23 in the middle yeah, of the right, playoffs. Right. Um, Cause that's a whole thing where it's like, I'm sure the NBA was like, Oh my God, what are we going to do with all these 45 jerseys now? <laughs> um, Mike was going to do what he wanted. And it's interesting that, you know, that year, before filming Space Jam, it's like, man, the immediate story of the, the 11 is failure. They lost that series. You know, that's that that was a horrible, you know, he gets stripped by Nick Anderson wearing his old shoe mm-hmm. um, to, to lose that first game of the series. And they go on to lose the series because, like, Mike only played 17 games. Some of his teammates weren't quite used to playing with him. He's not used to playing with these guys. And Orlando was a juggernaut right then. You know, but man, you talk about him getting cut or him not making the varsity as a 10th grader, like that drove him for years. And that was kind of like, he was young, he was small, he got left off because there was a friend who was 6'8". <laughs> if you're building a varsity basketball team, you kind of want the 6'8 guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he could get motivated off that stuff. What was he? How motivated was he going to get off losing a playoff series? Well... He got motivated enough for them to win 72 games the next year. Yeah, and he went and built the Jordan Dome on the Warner Brothers lot. And, uh, you know, that that whole story is incredible as well. I was going to also mention Allen Iverson wearing the Jordan 11s at Georgetown. I feel like that was a big part of the Jordan 11. Um, you know, I mean, you had guys like Kendall Gill uh, was wearing the Jordan 11s as well. I mean, there were, there were like these Jordan basketball players, Nick Anderson, like you said, wearing the old shoe. Um, but I th- AI at Georgetown was another part of that shoe kind of blossoming. And I do think it is similar to the Chuck uh, tailors at some level with that ability to kind of be, um, you know, just easy plug and play. People can wear it anywhere. Uh, they walk yep. around with it leisurely, but they also play basketball in it. It just, and it was comfortable, right? I mean, that was the other part you had to make not only fashion, but function for Michael. Michael really cared about function. And then I want to ask you right. about the architect, uh, as you like to call him Tinker Hatfield. I think a lot of people now know about Tinker more so than they did back then. But uh, I had a quote from you that you wrote years ago. I think this was back in uh, 2011. You called him a mix between Willy Wonka and Don Corleone, uh, which I thought <laughs> was great. Um, but how much is Tinker a part of kind of like the Jordan brand and the growth? I think he was a big part of it, you know, and I, there's a story like he would always tell that when, you know, when he would come up with something that kind of seemed out of left field that Nike was like, I don't know how we're going to sell this you know, his response to whatever executive was trying to get him to simplify or or not simplify, but to make things more palatable for who they thought the consumer was, Mm -hmm. he would just slide over Michael Jordan's phone number and be like, all right, you tell Michael, you tell (laughs) Michael, we're not going to do this. And I don't think anyone ever 
called his bluff on that. Mm. You know, it's like, well, if Michael wants it, we're going to do it. And I think especially in those days, pre-retro, and retro really didn't start to be a thing until 94, 95 with Jordan when they started to bring back some of his earlier And, and stuff. those flopped. Like when, when he was playing they baseball, flopped. they they brought back the 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 threes, right? They brought back the threes. Yep. The and ones, they, twos, and threes. Right, and, they, and then they just were all were like retail, like on sale immediately. <laughs> and the thing is, because they spent their, you know, the whole thing was you want the newest thing. And mm. that was, you maybe didn't love it initially, but you would buy it because like, that's the new Air Jordan and people are going to get to realize like, oh, this is the new Jordan. And I think like some of the styles that are even beloved now, they weren't super beloved when they first came out. You know, like I, I, what, I started getting Jordans with the two mm. and I got the twos when the threes came out because they were on sale for $70. I never, I didn't get the threes until they got retro, which ironically I paid full price for. I didn't wait. And they go on sale for like $20. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, you're like, what am I doing? I should have waited. That, that was sale. kind of a mistake. <laughs> um, but I mean, I got fours, fives. I didn't get sixes. I got sevens, but all when they went on sale, because mm. all that stuff went on sale. Like, you know, the new stuff, the new colors would come out. The old colors would go on sale. The new style would come out. The previous style would go on sale. So, um, I don't think I paid retail for a pair of Air Jordans, well, besides the retros, until the 11s. And, and it's kind of funny, like, I right. bought a pair of black red 11s. I had to search, like, multiple stores to find them. And I liked those shoes so much, I never actually wore them. Mm. There were a few times I would put them on and lace them up, and I'm just like, man, I can't do that first wear outside. I just can't bring myself to do it. Yeah, I have a pair of uh, Concord Gray 11s that I still just have in the box that I probably got back in like 2011, 2012 or something like that, like when they got re-released. And I uh, had the same thing. I'm like, I I'd rather just have these. And, you know, sometimes I'll open the box and look at them, and I'm like, man, these are, these are great shoes. But then I also wore, uh, you know, Concord Grays in high school. And, you know, so like I, I had like a nice pair that I would just keep in the box and I had like a, yeah. a pair that I would yeah. wear, you know what I mean? But it, it also feels like the the sneaker culture now, and I wanted to ask you about this, it just seems like the resale market, it's all just so different than what it was kind of growing up. Because like you said, a shoe would come out, you buy the shoe, and now it's like you, you got to go to, you know, cool kicks or whatever, like random <laughs> thing. Right. And then and then go buy it for, you know, twelve hundred dollars. It just it's just totally there. How how much is that? You know, you've watched both sides of the coin. What does it look like now? And how do we kind of sift through it? It's insane now. And honestly, <laughs> yeah, right. like, I, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I, I think like I think that system is going to break at some point. I you hope know, so. like I, I feel like. And it's a combination of things, right? I think people in say they're like, I don't even know. I mean, I'm in my 50s, but it's like people in their 40s and 50s, like we're people who grew up wanting this stuff super bad, but there weren't that many pairs available. You know, there mm -hmm. weren't that many releases every year. Jordan released in like five colors and that was it. There were no retros. Like, so you built up this desire and wanting this stuff so badly and maybe you only got a pair a year or two pairs a year. So once we got money, it's like, wait a minute. I can, and retro happened. It's like, wait, we can buy all this stuff now? You had a lot of people looking to like sort of relive their childhood or young adulthood and like buy up all this different stuff. And I don't know if the next generation is going to want that same thing. You know, they're the ones growing up with all this stuff as retro product. 
they want it because we tell them they should want it. And it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like, and part of the thing that makes me feel hopeful for it is like, you have kids now and I, kids are the ones I see wearing current performance stuff more so than retro. And I think we're going to have kids now who want like, they don't want an Air Jordan 3 because we thought it was cool in 1988. You know, they want the new Lamello Ball Pumas. <laughs> they want the Jason Tatums. They want the um, the John Morants. You know, they're going to want shoes that like they see people wearing. I hope. I hope this is the way it works. And I hope retro kind of does start to fade a little bit. You know, retro is a relatively recent development. I think like, it didn't really take off until the early 2000s when Jordan retired the second time and they brought back the ones and the fours and the fives, you know, and that's what kind of blew up. And that's even when this whole, um, I call it corporate resale, but, you know, sort of big time resale market happened, mm. you know, and now it's like, you know, I'm sure you've seen it too. You get the notification that like, whatever dropped on sneakers app and it sells out in four minutes and 10 minutes later you get an email from stock x being like buy this now and it's like yeah but it's literally like double or triple retail and the shoe came out today <laughs> yeah right i just <laughs> you know, like, i just saw it drop yeah now how do you have it right <laughs> like when we were younger or when you know you would see a shoe at the at the mall or at this, at whatever yeah, store you went to, foot or athlete's foot, locker, foot or foot locker. Yeah, right. And you could like, yeah, you could like go mow lawns for a couple of weeks and still go back and buy them because they were still there. You know, I think now so much has been built around like just the transaction. Like all that matters is buying the shoe. And it's like back then, buying the shoe was the beginning. Like you got the shoe and you brought it home and you were super psyched to get it and just look at it and stare at it for a while. But then you would wear it for like six months. Right. It, it was like it, it was like a part of your personality. You know what I mean? Like it was like it was like, uh, you know, like I had a friend of mine. He'd always say I'm loud down low. You know what I mean? Like you'd always look at his shoes like he, he'd have simple clothes on, but then he'd have the freshest Jordans on or whatever it might, you know, whatever shoe it was at the time. Right, right. Um, even one of those shoes that you talked about in the book, I wanted to hit on quickly uh, was the and one Tai Chi, uh, which is, you know, a shoe that yeah, I feel like it almost had like that same retro bump again last year when that documentary came out where I started, you know, I'm playing pickup and I see guys wearing and one shoes again and uh and it's it's fascinating but vince carter that slam dunk contest that was one of the most organic shoe moments i think we've we've seen this century and it happened in 2000 and he it was because he was kind of a restricted free agent his puma deal was really weird at the time um but but those shoes were the last time where it felt organic that that a that a shoe was worn by a player now it feels like it's all funneled down a marketing machine a little bit yeah. And I think like, you know, there's a confluence of things there, obviously. It's not often you have a guy appearing in, in, in that case, a dunk contest that's so heavily anticipated when he doesn't have an actual sneaker deal because he was kind of breaking his way out of the Puma deal. And like, you know, so much was dependent on something so simple. Like, you know, talking to Vince about it now, he's like, he was just looking for a pair of shoes he could wear right out of the box because he wanted to wear a brand new pair. You're not going to wear like Gotta a look pair clean. you've been wearing yeah, for months right. in a dunk contest and in the All-Star game. And brands were sending him shoes and Ad One was sending him more than basically anybody. You know, the Tai Chi, again, kind of like the Jordan 11. It was a super simple shoe, like recognizable without the logo. 
Um, and it was something he felt comfortable in. He wore it and like everyone was watching. And, you know, it's funny and like looking at that and ha- that moment and the aftermath of it where and one's like, well, I don't know if we can afford to sign him anyway because so much money had to go to Back pay to off Puma, the right. Puma deal. And Ad one was still like, you know, relatively small. I mean, certainly compared to a Nike or a Reebok um, or an Adidas. And, uh, you know, I think it was a legit question to ask is like, is Vince going to have a moment this big again? Like, he just gave us so much free publicity. And, you know, as it turns out, he ends up signing with Nike and jumping over dude in the Olympics, which was probably the second biggest <laughs> dunk moment at that point. And that gave that gave shocks kind of a liftoff. Um, but I mean, for Ann one, like that helped drive the Tai Chi to be like one of the biggest shoes of, of, of that time frame. And it was something that, yeah, it just happened. Yeah. And Vince Carter, like you said, he wears Nike shocks in the, in Sydney in the 2000 Olympics, he jumps over a guy, dunks it. And then, you know, Kevin Garnett goes insane. And every kid you see the next two or three years are all wearing Nike shocks and, and one, you know, they, they also watched Nike kind of copy their street basketball culture a little bit. You know what I mean? That they start making right, their commercials right. more street basketball oriented. And that's, you know, and Nike, again, like I said, they're they are on their own tier kind of by themselves and they kind of still sit there, which begs the question, is there any world in which, and I thought Curry had a chance and we can talk about Curry uh, a little bit, but is there anyone that can go to a brand right now, like maybe LaMelo at Puma, um, you know, but Jordan, you know, Zion at Jordan, Luca at Jordan, but is there anyone that can kind of help elevate a brand where they can really compete with Nike or are they just too big of a behemoth at this point? I mean, I, I, I think like, it's almost two separate things. You know, it's like, I think guys can make an impact. You know, I mean, th- there was talk about Steph Curry making this massive impact financially for Under Armour. Um, and obviously he's been spun off now into Curry brand, Curry brand. which is yeah, but like his a version more of difficult Jordan to brand. pull off. Right. right, right. And, and like, you know, Steph obviously is a pretty damn good golfer, so they can kind of spin him off into that too. Obviously there seems to be a huge market for sneakers as golf shoes now, which, not really my thing, but I get it. You know, you want right. to fill that different niche that like what used to be like what, like Footjoy saddle shoes or mm-hmm. Tiger Woods golf shoes. Um, you know, I think LaMelo and, uh, oh man, Stewie with mm. Puma um, on the women's side is obviously making a difference too. Um, but it's like Nike, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on, which side you're on has that whole retro thing to draw about draw from and retro as defined has kind of primarily been Nike and Jordan basketball stuff and and running but from the like the mid to late 90s into the early 2000s and with Jordan going back into the 80s that's impossible to duplicate you know I mean sure like Kari can start retroing some of Steph's earlier shoes, but you're going back to what? Like the the teens. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going back very far. Um, Puma's the same way. Like they can start building something now with Mellow, and I think they have, but like it's gonna take decades to build that out into what Nike and Jordan have been able to do, and they're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, Sabrina Inescu, I think her new shoe was was one that I saw getting some love. I thought it was a really clean shoe, nice shoe. Like yep. minimalist yep. usually hits with the public, especially when it's versatile and you can wear it different places. I remember the Curry Fours, 2016. They're winning 73 games. They dropped the Curry Fours. This is supposed to be like the shoe. And the shoe that came out was like these all white, um, kind of low cut shoes, and everyone was saying they they would look like you should mow your your lawn with the shoes. Right, and right, I remember right. that moment kind of was like the the when people almost turned on the Curry Under Armour shoe game a little bit. And what was funny to me about that is if you knew about the Jordan Eleven, the leather, the patent leather, the way that they designed it was supposed to be similar to a lawnmower. Um, which is, you know, kind of ironic. And, you know, I mean, the, one of them was lawn shoes, right. one of them was inspired right. by a lawnmower. But, like, is there any way where Curry Brand or he can drop some new shoes that that maybe revitalize and kind of get back into the zeitgeist when it comes to shoe culture? Because it, it does seem like it may have passed. I, I, you know, I think they can, you know, and, and I think they can do some things with the older stuff. You know, Steph was good about that. Like, I think that shoe did get clowned a lot, and Steph, I think, played it off. And yeah, he played made along fun. With he, it he gave it to Dell. To Remember, I think, I think Dell like wore the shoes mowing the grass at one point. They yeah, took a picture. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a tough thing. Like for me, I was looking at that the other day, and like one of the things that's difficult with the Under Armour shoes for me is the logo. Mm-hmm. Like you have that UA logo, and like everything else is sort of this raked back speed thing. You know, whether it's Puma with their little form stripe, or even the Adidas three stripes the way they lean back in the swoosh. Um, you know, the UA is kind of awkward. I mean, and that comes from them being more of a, a clothing brand getting into sneakers. You know, it's like, should they have done some kind of secondary logo early on when they first got into the sneaker market? Would that have helped? You know, maybe it would have. Um, and again, like, I think the curry is probably bigger with kids buying shoes rather than quote unquote sneaker culture. You yeah. know, I, I don't know if you have a lot of people out there trying to like get all the curries, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Will that happen eventually? You know, maybe. Will will they be able to have more of a presence in like retro slash lifestyle with curry stuff? Yeah, I, I guess so. It kind of depends where things go. Um but again, as long as that Jordan Nike stuff is there, and as long as that stuff is still seen as like this uh, desirable sort of thing, you have to contend with that. You know, you're you're kind of you're almost like filling a gap that's in their space rather than like pushing them aside. You know, as far as doing that, that that's I don't know. I don't know what that's going to take. Yeah. One last thing, Russ, I want to ask you before I let you go. And again, the book is a history of basketball in 15 sneakers. You can go get that right now. It's a great read. I'm having a lot, a lot of fun with it. Is Kobe, the Kobe's obviously there was some drama with Nike a little bit, but do you think like, you know, you talk about the retro market and things like that. They just signed deals with Kentucky and some of these schools, right. To to be the official brand. Do you think that the Kobe's will almost become kind of like the new Jordans very soon where now they're the ones getting the retros and everyone's pumping out the Kobe shoes because I mean, Kobe's when they first came out, it was a lot of vitriol because they were low top. The, you know, old adage was you wear high top shoes. So you don't turn your ankles. Kobe kind of changed that a little bit, but now it feels like Kobe's are the new cool thing and they're about to take off. I think you can look at Kobe's kind of splitting that difference between retro and current where it's like, you know, if you look at a lot of current signature shoes, like 
Most of them are low tops now. You know, you have LeBron playing in lows. LeBron's <laughs> what, 6'8", 250? I mean, <laughs> you know, he's not the guy you would think of. And moving the way he does. I mean, there were Kareem played in lows, Moses played in lows, but, you know, LeBron doesn't move like those guys. He's not just hanging out in the paint. So, um, you know, I think, especially during that time when Kobe's weren't being produced, they tried to sort of fill that gap with other things. You know, I honestly think part of the reason Sabrina's shoe took off is like, that is similar to a Kobe as right. far as like functionality um, or wearability. So it'll be interesting when Kobe's come back and if they come back in bigger numbers, um, will that eat into Nike's own stuff? You know, Tatum's are pretty low, like Luca's are pretty low. You know, how much of, the current basketball market is sort of filling up what Kobe's, where Kobe's space would be. Um, it'll also be interesting to see, like, you know, is all that stuff just going to get bought up by resellers? You know, yeah. I think like that's sort of the unfortunate reality right now is like you have stuff selling out that maybe wouldn't even sell out. You would be able to see it on a wall and be like, oh, I should go back and get that. But someone else sees that and is like, yo, I'll take all of them. Yeah. And I think the reverse Grinches are supposed to come out in December. That'll probably be like a good test case to see because I know a lot of people are excited about that. The all red, uh, you know, Kobe, uh, the famous yeah. lime green Grinches, right? And it's unfortunate, you know, like what I rather would have seen, and I'm not really a, uh, you know, obviously I'm not in charge, but <laughs> it would have been nice for them instead of doing the reverse to just put out the Grinch again because it's been years and there weren't enough to go around last time. Make millions of them. Make tons of that shoe because that's really what people want. You know, like make it so everyone can literally get a pair if they want to. Make it so if resellers buy them, they can sit on them because there's going to be more at stores. Um, you know, let people have a chance to buy those at retail and wear them. We've seen like so many NBA players wearing those. I feel like almost every NBA game I've watched since they came back out, someone's wearing those Grinches, you know, Brunson, I think wore them a ton with the Knicks. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully if people really want the reverse ones, they can get them, you know, the, the, I think they're doing another run of fours in Laker colors, you know, hopefully those are accessible. Um, you know, I know those, they did the halo eight, those all white eights and those disappeared pretty fast. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just hope, it goes back to being like, if people want it, they can actually buy it at retail. Yeah, I think that's our big uh, thesis statement of the day when it comes to sneakers. It's retail over resale all day, every day for us. Russ, thanks so much for coming to the show. Again, the book is A History of Basketball and 15 Sneakers. Where can we find all your great work for everybody out there uh, along with the book itself? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, a lot of it right now is in this. You know, this is this took up a lot of time recently. Um, it's a great read, man. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. So I, I, appreciate I really appreciate that. it. I appreciate that. I mean, I'll, you know, you can find me at my name on Twitter, Instagram. Like, I'll probably do a Substack. Like, nice. I, I've actually done a few entries in that. Um, you know, we'll see. Maybe this is motivation saying it and putting it out in the world is more motivation to do it. Um, just because it would be nice to to have more out there on this. I love it. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show, Russ, and we'll have you back. And good luck with the book. And again, if you uh, if you want to read a book about basketball, you want to read a book about how these brands came to be, you got to go check out this book right now. Thanks again, Russ. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot.
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. There you have it, Russ Bingston. Thanks so much for coming on the show. He was great. Got to talk about a lot of sneakers that I love. I love sneakers. Um, it's a it's a tough culture, as we talked about, um, to kind of get into. It's like uh, you know, it's like Euroleague soccer or, or even Euroleague basketball. Let's say Euroleague basketball, right? I mean, if you're a diehard and you know all these rosters and you're all the way in it, when someone that comes from like a general vantage point says, "Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that." They they're like, "Get out of my face." Shout out to hockey fans. Yeah, <laughs> hockey fan. Right. The, the, why? What? What is the gatekeeping? I don't know. I, I would. I would think you want everybody involved, but sneaker culture is weird, and uh, you know everybody has their personal preferences. I'm a Jordan guy. Everybody has a brand that they like. Um, I respect a lot of brands. I like Puma a lot, Kyle. You know what I mean? I like New Balance. I like what they're doing, but I don't know. It's a tough conversation, but it was fun to have that conversation with Russ. But now let's talk about some headlines in college basketball, and let's start with a good one. And it, an exclusive here, Indiana and Kentucky. It is over. The ceasefire is here. They are ready. They are going to play basketball again. It is not a true home-and-home home series but it will be Kentucky versus Indiana. Congratulations. It happened. The Watford shot, it hung over the series for quite some time. Calipari said, this is a cold war. I will not break it. I will not go back to Assembly Hall. But finally, um, after 14 years, 
we will see these two teams play each other, the Wildcats and the Hoosiers. So um, December 2011, Kyle, was the last time that we've seen this matchup. And, uh, you know, it was a great matchup, as we all know. And that was my freshman year of college. So I remember watching that vividly. So it was a great time. Uh, Dan Schulman yelling, yes, yes. Um, it was a vivid moment. Everybody remembers it. But now we get it, you know, going again. And hopefully... Um, a lot of people are skeptical. They think that this means that Calipari has set the timeline on his exit to leave Kentucky because of uh, the timeline of this rivalry coming back. You know, they're saying he doesn't want to coach in this. I say it's a lifetime contract and John Calipari will be there. Also, for anyone doubting, Mike Woodson will be there. I think Mike Woodson might have a uh, top five premier program potentially at that point if things keep trending the way that they are. So Kentucky, Indiana, that's going to be a great game. Very excited about that. Um, speaking of Big Ten basketball, let's talk about Peacock because Peacock has 34 Big Ten men's basketball games during the 2023-24 season, um, and it opens up with a New Jersey showdown. New Jersey, obviously a diehard college basketball state. Have a lot of respect for New Jersey. We got Princeton taking on Rutgers basketball. Um, you know, shout out to uh, our guy, Jimmy V. I know that he would be uh, excited to see such a matchup. And Princeton coming off the upset that Bill Simmons called in the first round against Arizona. <laughs> okay, I'll, never, I'll never forget that. I, I It's like <laughs> penciled in my brain. Yeah, just like Princeton. Runner. Yeah, I just don't see it. I like Princeton. Um, so there you go. Peacock's got a lot of games. And Kyle, you said that they were promoting the fact that they have Caitlin Clark how many times? Uh, here's the headline. It's it's from um, it's actually from the the uh, the press release from NBC. Peacock is exclusive home of 20 plus Big Ten women's basketball games for the 23-24 season, including eight games featuring Caitlin Clark. Wow! So they are they are firmly grabbed onto the coattails, and um, I hope the rest of the uh, Iowa team doesn't feel too bad about that. Well, Caitlin Clark is going to be a star of the show. We totally, are going to talk totally. about Caitlin Clark. So I guess I have do I have to get Peacock? I guess that that's the big update here. I have to go order. I have to reach out to someone here at Spotify and say, I need a Peacock account. I don't know how they're going to feel about that, but they even have two Big Ten tournament games in the first round on that Wednesday, um, which is on my birthday, March 13th, 2024. So I will be watching Peacock and Big Ten basketball on my birthday. What a gift. It also seems like one of the only networks that isn't trying to create their own tournament right now. Right. So thank you, Peacock. At least you didn't announce that you're thank thinking. Thank you, Caitlin Clark. Well, yeah, Caitlin Clark is a, is a big factor in this. Uh, this is great stuff. So we're happy to hear that. We're happy for the Big Ten. We're happy for Caitlin Clark. And uh, again, it's going to be weird. I saw uh, Adam Jardy, beat reporter for Ohio State. You know, he tweeted this out yesterday, which seems insane. There are zero Ohio State games on ESPN next season. Zero. Zip. Nada. Nothing. That is wild. I mean, you know, lose. yeah, right. But Ohio State's a huge brand. ESPN. They've always owned college basketball. That's how they became so big in the first place. So never forget your roots. I hope ESPN, I hope this doesn't backfire. And I hope, uh, you know, Peacock survives. And I hope people watch these games, Kyle. Um, that's probably my biggest concern because the Big Ten has controlled the narrative. They've been able to somehow get, you know, as many teams as any conference every single year in the tournament. And then they then we all watch them flame out and we say, what the hell? How did they do this? How do they keep getting away with this? But if we not if we're not watching these games... I'm not sure if they're going to have the same kind of love from the Bubble Boys. And this is exclusive Peacock, right? There isn't like an NBC, like, there is subsidiary. No like, Frogram's not going to be able to watch these games. No, absolutely not. TVs. So you better tell Troy if he wants to watch the Spartans, he better get Peacock <laughs> ASAP and uh, maybe get a smart TV because he's going to have Peacock app on there. I think a lot of people in the Midwest, based on what I've witnessed uh, during my trips in the Midwest, 
They're going to be upset about this. They <laughs> they do they do not want to go buy a smart TV. handwritten letters. Get ready, yeah. NBC. <laughs> right, uh, man. A, a lot of Apple TV orders, I guess, coming in soon. So we'll see what happens with that. Again, shout out to the Big Ten. Next up, Kyle. The NCAA announced they are shortening the transfer portal for college basketball from 60 days to 45 days. And uh, this is good news because coaches were complaining. They were very upset about this. They said that the portal was a problem. It was 24-7. I don't think that this fixes the tampering part of it because tampering is 24-7. Tampering happens as soon as a kid commits and gets on campus. He's still getting tampered with by the team. Because by nature, tampering is before the window, right? That's right. what tampering is. Okay. Well, and you know when you go to a new place and you're you're 18 years old and you know maybe things aren't the best. You know It's a little bit rocky the first couple of weeks. You start texting the other coaches that you liked, and you're like, how's Tucson this time of year? You know, how's how's camp going, coach? Good good to check in with you. And then the tampering ensues. So we kind of know how that goes. But again, this is good news for college basketball. We love to see that. Um, And uh, I'm happy that we're going to have a shorter window so we can focus in on this. And like I said, this year, I was exhausted by the time, uh, you know, every single day I thought the window was closed. And then all of a sudden the windows open and this guy just announced that he's transferring to his fifth school. Um, so there was a whole lot of conversations about the transfer portal. So it looks like the NCAA, they don't do a lot, Kyle, but at least they did this. It's, so it's this basically just to give like the coaches a little bit more peace of mind. Like, right. 15 you days. You don't have to do this for 15 more days. Well, it's done now. You get you get two weeks uh, of, of leave. You know what I mean? They're like, we'll give you two weeks off and then you're right back. Put your cap back on. And then during those two weeks, tampering will ensue. Do you think there would be, if you were a betting man, if FanDuel had a, had odds on this, do you think there would be less transfers next season or they just would, these kids would just get their shit together sooner? They'll just get it together sooner. Okay. Because honestly, it's the same way with normal recruiting in high school. It's like, if you're a big time recruit, you have to wait for your window. You have to wait for your moment. Andrew Wiggins, I thought, did a great job with this when he was at Huntington Prep. He just kept stringing it out, stringing it out. And guess what happened, Kyle? He's the fifth recruit. Now he's fourth. Now he's third. Oh, my God. Now he's one. And we're in the summer. And and all the blue bloods want him. And boom, he goes to Kansas. So sometimes it's fun to string them out. And uh, now you can't do it as long as you did before. You only have 45 days, not 60 days. Shout so. out Tipton Edits. He's going to be extra busy Man, during those uh, our guy, 45 days. He's going to be working hard. Uh, speaking of Tipton Edits, he's probably got one ready for this guy, the top college basketball recruit in 2024, Dylan Harper. He discussed his recruitment recently, and he said these are the five colleges that he is, quote-unquote, focused on. I love that. You know what I mean? It's kind of like phrasing. That, <laughs> that, that Woj phrasing, right? He's focused on these five colleges, Duke, Indiana, Rutgers, Kansas, Auburn. Um, you know, he has the ties to Rutgers. I think Rutgers is, remains the favorites in my mind, but Duke, Indiana, Rutgers, Kansas, Auburn, that is fascinating stuff. I think those schools will all have um, a little bit of a say. And speaking of Duke, we have to talk about the number one recruit. Um, poof, this guy, he, he's hurting my heart here. Cooper Flag. he has canceled a visit to Bill Self in Kansas. He now is focused on Duke. Uh, I think that is the update. He is, <laughs> I said last time that UConn, you know, they were probably in third, but it looks like they could be in second. Uh, but Duke, all signs are pointing to the Blue Devils. They're probably going to end up with the number one class in 2024. Um I don't know what to do about this, Kyle, but um, I was getting excited for a little bit. At one point, North Carolina had the number one recruiting class. You know, they had two top 10 recruits, as Tipton talked to us about. But it looks like John Shire and Coach K, um, actually Mr. K, I should say, have this thing figured out. So um, Duke, Cooper flag, it looks inevitable, but I believe things can happen. This is what happens in college basketball. 
Um, Kyle, do you have any headlines here in college basketball? I know you've been pulling these up. I I love that we're in a time now where I get on Twitter or X or whatever the fuck you call it, or I get on Instagram and Kyle's sending me DMs or or messages from John Rosti and giving me like schedule updates about what the Big 12 is going to do. Um, 20 league games coming up. I saw I that one. I can't wait till it's not as bleak. I can't wait till I have more <laughs> things to send you. Uh, but this is a fun one because um, this is two of our, our brands coming together, and that is the uh, Kentucky John Calipari brand and the mm. Wooden Awards brand that we are now firmly established. In yes, our, right. I think, we are wooden guys. Uh, it's So I didn't realize they announced these things so early out, but he's going to get uh, the Legends of Coaching Award uh, for at the Wooden Award ceremony uh, right here in Los Angeles that we were invited to and I really think killed our appearance at last year. So uh, we'll be in the, hopefully we'll be in the same room with uh, Coach Cal. We got to reach back out uh, to our wooden guys and get everything locked in. Last year, we had a lot of fun. I think Caitlin Clark will be back this year. So we get a back-to-back Caitlin Clark appearance. Hopefully, one thing I learned recently, um, you know, I was reading about John Wooden as one does uh, when they're bored on an airplane and trying to think about the fact that they're, you know, 30,000 feet in the air, just kind of flying through. Uh, And I was reading about Wooden. The first thing that he did at practice, Kyle, is teach these guys how to tie their shoes. Um, everybody on the team. Start so, small. Yeah, right. And then if you do, if you tie your shoes perfectly, then you'll do this perfectly and then you'll do that perfectly. And then you kind of climb this pyramid of success to a national championship. And also, you recruit the best player in the country, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's all good stuff. We, we love the Wooden Award and we love the ceremony. We can't wait to be back. Um, all right, so that's a good headline. Any more headlines, Kyle? Because then I got some conspiracies I want to talk about. Yeah, I want to save time for the conspiracies. You hit okay. me with a couple of them early, but uh, this is just a fun one. Uh, Pitt, uh, Zach Austin used video games to perfect the shot blocking. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he studied off of 2K14, which I think he still plays to this day. Like, you know, everyone nice. has their favorite like uh, NCAA football game that they like or whatever. I'm a 2K15 guy. Uh, they, they, Durant was on the cover. Curry was on the cover. I mean, I think they had like three different guys that were on the cover that year, but it was great. But I just love this guy committed to an old game now that's, you know, going on 10 years old. And uh, he he was, uh, I think he was like 17th in blocks, averaging two mm. a game last year. And he's, he just says that he got it from video games. So um, there's hope out there. Yeah, congratulations. Maybe he gets like his own movie, Gran Turismo, but it's about him learning how to block <laughs> shots and it's about college basketball. And uh, yeah, we can write that here. We could we could figure that out. Any more headlines, Kyle? That's it. Let's wrap this part up. Let's wrap this part up. Shout out to everybody out there. Let's get some more headlines. We're getting close to the season. Uh, we're going to have Kyle Man back on Monday. We're going to do some more fun topics, some preview topics. And again, we're putting our characters list together so you can reach out to us. Let us know who you think should be on our characters list. But now let's talk about some conspiracies because... This is the wildest thing. There's been a lot of media beef, Kyle. I don't, I mean, obviously, you know, um, our guy Ryan Rosillo was in a little bit of a, a, a tiff um, recently. I don't, I don't want to get into that, but you know, there's, there's always some stuff going on in the media. But right now, there's a headline on the Washington Post, and the headline reads Inside the NBA's quote unquote only real rivalry, in a battle for scoops and attention, it's ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski versus former protege, the the Athletics' Sham Sarania. Every second counts. Okay, so if you haven't seen this, uh, or you don't even know about this, you should. I mean, it's obvious. These guys don't like each other. It's the classic, I teach you how to do this, and now you're trying to compete against me. We get it. We know how the game goes. But there's a quote that that came out of this whole conversation, which is fascinating to me. And multiple NBA officials describe Woj and Shams's relationship as similar to Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. 
wait, what? What are we talking about here? I mean, these these are insiders, these are scoopers, and this is just like a business of information. And I don't think any time in my life have I ever gone back and said, "Wow, I remember Woj scooping that thing. What a what a big score that was!" Or man, Shams, what a scoop! Ah, this is incredible. What great stuff. What is this? We're acting like these are the actual players on the court. But then I started spinning, you know, a little bit in my mind about why would this even be a big story? And when you think about scoopers, what are scoopers doing? They're taking information and then they're sharing it from the sources, right? But what happens when the sources are putting out your information about you, who's supposed to be the sourcer himself? It's all messed up. But then I'm thinking Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, those are pretty good comps, Kyle. I mean, that th those are, like, if you're Shams, you're like, I'm pretty happy about being called Luke Skywalker. If you're Woj, you're Especially like... if you watch the movies. <laughs> right, right. And if, and if you're Woj, let's be honest, we all like Darth Vader a little bit. Even though he's a villain, we're like, man, we, damn, do we respect Anakin. And, you know, he just got, you know, he's just deal, dealing with loss, right? We all know how loss works in life. Did Woj become Darth Vader where he tweeted at that guy, fuck you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, those are those are two flattering comps. When he went from Anakin to Darth. <laughs> right. This, this, is, this is crazy. And then I see this story and it keeps coming out. And the people that put it out are the NBA officials. And then you think to yourself, well, who gives these guys the scoops? The NBA officials. These are their friends. So th these are the same guys that they're communicating with all the time and, and talking to and keeping friendly with and going to dinners with and making sure I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I think this is a scratch back. I think this is, uh, <laughs> you, you put this out to the world that you are Luke Skywalker, you are Darth Vader, uh, you build the drama. It, it becomes like this whole, you know, reality TV landscape where now, you know, the athletic can't even put in a Woj tweet in Slack. Oh, the horror. Like, what? what is what is the end game here? The end game is to create drama and to build the characters of Woj and Shams, which I have to respect. You know, at first I see that quote and I'm like, what the hell? And then I work it back, Kyle, and I'm saying, this is actually, I think, genius scooping. This is this is fifth dimension level scooping. This is scooping good PR Scoop about yourself. yourself. <laughs> and then and then you act like I don't want to talk about that. But I think you do want to talk about that because, again, you're Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And this stuff came out of The Athletic, right? Because I don't think Woj would have approved the Darth Vader thing. Also, I think it's a terrible... Yeah. I Woj mean, is not Shams' father. <laughs> yeah, they never had. They never did battle in a weird way. I mean, no. I guess they do on draft night, but not really. Uh, I think a better one would be uh, the like the space race, maybe. Right. Russia, Russia right. USA. In it, which case, Russia would be Woj. I, th I think so, but I, we, we, we don't know. In my Tony Blair voice from Dave Chappelle show, we don't know. We just don't know. Um, but I will say, in general, that's the space race. That's literally going to outer space with, you know, implications beyond anything we can even, even fathom. This is NBA news that we will get in five minutes. Like, the, the the news will come out from the team via press release in five minutes. And then the Bleacher Report copies it anyway, yeah. and that's what you know. And, the, and then these damn aggregators are going to take it, and then they're going to run It'll just with be five it, minutes later. And we don't know who even scooped it. And so I'm just confused because it can't be that serious. I guess that that's also a big takeaway. It really can't be that serious. But I understand that to heighten the drama, to sell the idea that these guys are battling out for these scoops. And we really need to know if, you know, freaking Harry Giles is going to get a 10 day with the Boston Celtics. 
Um, you know, I mean, th- this is what is happening. This is this is what these guys are fighting over. And if you read these articles, Kyle, you would think that they're fighting over like, you know, the planet of Krypton or something. I mean, it, it is high level stakes that is being implied. And I do think we could all just take a beat and say, this is kind of hilarious. What is going on here? And again, if if you ask me who I would want to be compared to, probably Luke Skywalker, right? I mean, who wouldn't? So, and 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 if you put that out Look there- Look who benefits. You, who benefits the story? I think Woj does a little bit too. Also, Woj did an interview before the draft this year saying he was not going to do the, you know, beat the mm-hmm. beat the pick uh, in, his, in his clever little language. He was just like, you know, I'm on the draft coverage and right. uh, I'm sure there's, they've had some sort of conversations of like, hey, you know, this kind of sucks for us on the TV side of this. And I don't think Sham stopped. So he already kind of conceded to the public, like, I'm, I got bigger shit to deal with here. And and then and then he started tweeting the picks. Like, as soon as Shams was tweeting the picks and things were going he well, couldn't help he was, once he saw the engagement, <laughs> he, he was like, it. oh, my God. He was like, 96 quote tweets. Let's let's do it. Let's run it up. Uh, Kelly Oubre just signed a restricted free agent deal. Um, yeah, I, I just don't understand why it is such a major kind of talking point. But I do think both these guys are really good at their jobs. Is that is that fair to say, right? I mean, why do they have to compete? What did J. Cole say? Why can't two legends coexist? I mean, there's enough NBA, there's enough NBA coverage out there to scoop. I think that there's enough ice cream to scoop for everybody. Are you trying to stay out of this because you guys are Fandle, you and you and Champs? I actually, I mean, <laughs> I going back to Rosillo, Rosillo was like, be scared of Woj. And and I and Woj is always right. And I agree with that at some level. And Kyle, you know, you want to know why Woj is always right? And this is a, let's break the fourth wall for the fans out there. It's because he knows the owners. And guess what? who makes the decisions? The owners, the 30 owners, they make the decisions. Every GM, every president of basketball operations that you want to blame and point your finger at, guess what they are, folks? They're the fall guy for the owner who made every decision. Jerry Reinsdorf is the one that told Michael Jordan, hey, I'm firing Phil Jackson and, and you can either accept it or not. And Michael Jordan said, wait, what? Okay, well, I guess I'm not going to play basketball anymore. I guess I'm going to retire after this last dance with this team. That's an owner decision. And the owners tell Woj what's going to happen. And guess what Shams learned? I need to know what the owners are going to do. And then he talks to the owners and then the owners tell him and then he puts it out there. And then guess what? When you see trades floated and you see graphics made and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Dame Lillard in Milwaukee. I never thought about that. That's from the owners. They're floating it. That's what they do. This is what it is. That's the economy of NBA news. And I just want these guys to get along. And I also, if there's anyone that's going to make Darth Vader comps, it's going to be me about Coach K. I think that's what I'm also upset about. Coach K is Darth Vader. How many Darth Vaders can there be? I think Woj is, uh, I think he understands what he's doing. I don't think he's Darth Vader. I think Shams could be Luke Skywalker. He seems like a nice guy. I don't know. But I don't know. I saw that story, Kyle, and it got me fired up. And then it also got me thinking about what's happening when the scoopers are scooping themselves. And 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 we're all lost in the sauce here. So gets muddy. It gets muddy. Muddy waters here. It gets a little mucky. Uh, they're mucking it up, these two guys. But it is not the only real rivalry in the NBA. Jimmy Butler versus Jimmy Butler is a, is a stronger rivalry than anything that these two can do. Um, Giannis and Dame versus the Boston Celtics media machine. That's Draymond great, Poole, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, Draymond versus Poole. Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole trying to show LeBron and Steph Curry they can do it on their own in Washington on House's, you know, D.C. team. I mean, who knows? There's some good rivalries out there. Um, 
I'm just going to leave it at that. But I, I saw that comp. I saw that conversation. I saw that headline. And I said, what the hell is going on I here? I think it's more of a space race. I really do. It's a space race without any of the consequences of actually going to space, um, which is which is fair. And honestly, the space race is awesome. I love space. I think, and it resulted in a conspiracy just like today. Of course. Yeah. So let's go to the second conspiracy. Because like you said, moon conspiracy is a big one. A lot of people think Stanley Kubrick shot the moon landing. Um, if he did, I think Stanley Kubrick would have told somebody. I'm not going to lie. He liked talking <laughs> about how great he was. So I think he would have told somebody. I'm not sure, though. We'll leave that there. Second one, Kyle, in the conspiracy corner. Have you seen this Taylor Swift jet conspiracy? Because I just want to quickly say, I know way too much about Taylor Swift, and I want to know less. I want to I want to unplug. And I even saw Travis Kelsey saying, I, I, don't, I don't think they should be talking about this as much as they are. So let's all unplug. And if you haven't seen this conspiracy, everyone is saying that Taylor Swift went to a Jets game so that when you type in Taylor Swift Jets, you won't see how much she flies her, her private jets around and, uh, you know, inevitably destroys our Earth. And if you know anything about... You know, <sighs> What does now, it work? N- no, now that now this conspiracy is at the top of when you type in Taylor Swift. This is, this is Taylor Swift's nightmare. <laughs> this is her nightmare. Someone has figured out her game. So that that is a whole thing. Um, every single show that I do with Nora Kyle, which I do on Through the Ringer, they come and and I have my topics list, and they're like this week in Taylor Swift, and I love Nora, and Nora knows what's going on, but I think even Nora's like, can we not talk about this right now? Can we leave this be? Um, and it begs the question. Is it because she's trying to hide her jet flights, um, her mini private jet flights? I don't know. Shout out to Vulture for, I guess, paying Google to be at the top of this thing. because uh, yeah, SEO is strong right there. Yeah. Uh, everyone's talking about that conspiracy. Uh, last and third conspiracy that is happening today. I don't know if you saw this. There was a lot of people fired up about the phone alert that like you apparently they're sending out like microwave chips via phone and it's going to like... Is it going to activate the ones for acti- the vaccine? Yeah, right. That's what they're saying. That's, that's, this is what people are saying. And uh, and that is the funniest thing. I mean, oh man. I remember Ken Jennings, who obviously famous Jeopardy winner, now the host of Jeopardy. And, you know, sometimes just kind of a know-it-all. I call him a Kia, right? Kias are, are, are fine. But, it, you know, sometimes they're just like, okay, I get enough. But he wrote a book that like everything's not funny. You know what I mean? Like we have um, in this world that we live in now, like we like to laugh at everything. We kind of that's how we cope. We all just kind of like, that's funny. You know what I mean? How ridiculous is that? This is almost a bridge too far for me, because when when people were actually freaking out, people didn't want to have their phone in their hand when the alarm went off. It was supposed to go off at 1120, Kyle, but it went off at 1118. People accidentally had the phone in their hand. Now they're they're freaking out. We live in L.A. Around that time, traffic highway was shut down. We don't even know what was happening. Um, But stop. Right. The conspiracy corner. Please stop this one. This one is too ridiculous. I can't even laugh at it. Um, but also, I'm like, what the hell? Like, what what is going on? And why 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 is this in our face? I I don't know. I don't know, Kyle. I think you could give the conspiracy thing a rest and just say, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't yeah. like it. I just don't like it. I guess it, it's a conspiracy because people are talking about it, and that's why I wanted to bring it into this corner and say, <laughs> stop it. Like, get some help. Uh, in, in the classic Michael Jordan, please go get some help. Um, we'll leave that there. All right. Last thing, uh, as far as shout outs for me, I'm going back to Disneyland this weekend. I have my family coming into town, have my nieces coming into town. It's the first time I've had my nieces, my brother, my sister-in-law, my parents all out in Los Angeles at the same time. We're going to Disneyland. Last time I talked about Disneyland, it was my first time there. I just said, I don't quite get why you have to be there for 12 hours. I was attacked 
on Reddit. I was I was tweeted at. I had a lot of Disney adults come from my throat. I just want to say I'm there to pay my penance to Mr. Walt Disney. I'm so sorry. I'm going to find the magic. Uh, last time when I got on the tram to go back to the parking deck, I was celebrating and I was telling people it was my favorite ride of the day. It did not land. No one, no one was happy about those comments. This time around with my family, with my nieces, um, you know, it's, it's going to be better. I'm going to be locked in. But also, last conspiracy corner, Kyle, th- this was pointed out to me with Disney. Um, guy was frozen and was, you know, saying, I'll come back like Austin Powers did in Goldmember. And, you know, people have said that the movie Frozen was made so that when you type in Google <laughs> Disney Frozen, he doesn't pop up. I'm just saying. I was, don't know. Was he frozen when he was alive? I think he was frozen when he like was he alive. Like he chose a freeze date? I think he was like, I'm about to die. Freeze me. <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah, right. Death, he felt <laughs> yeah. the death rattle and he's like, now. Yeah. And then it turns out he was just having a panic attack. Uh, and then he was like, shit. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how cryogenics works. I just know when I was a kid, I heard that rumor that he was, and I always thought he could come back. Um, did you type in Disney Frozen? What, what pops up first? The movie, um, right? I mean, not great uh, websites, so I'm not sure uh, if it... Uh, why don't you just vamp for a second while I vet this? <laughs> okay, Kyle's, Kyle's reading uh, what looks like an ad. Um, I'm not sure if it's a real website, but it does seem like a good conspiracy. It does seem like something that Walt Disney would definitely do. Um, but again, I am not upset. The The two fan bases I'm most terrified of are Disney fans and Taylor Swift fans. And I have nothing against either one of them. Not frozen. Not frozen. He's not frozen. According to trust and will. <laughs> okay, well, all right. Well, we'll we'll make sure to, to follow up on that to see if we get a second source there, but not frozen. Um, so maybe this conspiracy is just dumb. Which goes back to the original point. Stop it. Get some help. Don't do this anymore. Um, I'm excited to go back to Disneyland. I, I will come back and I will be more positive. I'm trying to be, um, you know, a better sport about these things. I just, you know, when I'm not mentally prepared for something, I just completely shut down. Um, not only was he not frozen, he was cremated. It's the opposite of frozen. What the hell? <laughs> This is a great example of why you don't listen to like when you, you know you, when you're in third grade, Kyle. A lot of times, like you just people just spread mis- misinformation, right? They'll just tell you stuff. And I feel like in third grade, some kid told me that Disney was frozen, and I've had that in the back of my mind ever since. And uh, it sounds like a lot more people had that as well. Um, I don't know how we heard that. I don't know. I don't know how that was spread. I don't know how propaganda used to work back in the day, but damn, did it work! So there you have it. Update: Dumb did not happen completely dumb. Um, I'm ex- I'm even more excited for Disneyland now. I can't wait to be on It's a Small, Small World and Pirates of the Caribbean. I like the Disney side more than the California Adventure side, uh, which is, you know, uh, probably controversial based on these Disney fans last time I heard. They're probably going to come in my neck again, but I, I do like the, I like the Disney side. I like the purity of it. And it just, it gets, it gets really expensive when you're talking park hoppers. Oh man. When you're talking. We're staying uh, down there. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm staying at a. Disney what, hotel? Uh, or a Disney affiliate hotel. One of, one of the Disney affiliate hotels. Oh, okay. But you know what? My favorite ride, I can't ride anymore because I was going to the parking deck. So now <laughs> I, now I don't know what I'm going to do. Check the Star Wars, man. It's, it's thrilling. Star it really Wars, is. I, uh, the, the new big, Star Wars is really good. Big caveat. The, the Star Wars area in general is sick. And I'll let you know if I see Shams or Woj over there. Um, we'll see if we can find Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker. Um, again, shout out to uh, Russ for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. I love talking sneakers with him. Shout out to Kyle, super producer, getting things done. Um, he's back. We're good. We're back in the saddle. We got Kyle Man, Manic Monday coming up, and we will see you very soon. Thanks for listening to One Shining Podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.